welcome to episode five of Claim the Stage. I'm Angela Lucier, a speaker, author, trainer, and your host. Claim the Stage is a podcast for creative entrepreneurial women who want to inspire audiences and get paid. First, I want to start by saying a huge thank you to everyone who has subscribed to my show on iTunes. I'm so appreciative of your ratings and reviews. And most of all, I'm really glad you're listening and loving it. It means a lot to me to know that I'm not the only person tuning in. So <laughs> thank you for that. And I'm, I'm just really glad that this podcast has been interesting and enlightening for so many of you so early on. So last night, I gave a presentation in Hartford, Connecticut for startups, and it was all about how to wow your audience. And I decided to hook up with this business incubator slash accelerator program because I just graduated from an accelerator program. I was in there with 36 teams and, you know, every month we had a boot camp and there were opportunities for teams to pitch. And what I noticed through the course of the months was that a lot of these teams, although they were very passionate about their business, about their idea and passionate about how they were going to change the world, that passion rarely translated in their pitch. And I would sit in the audience and think, wow, they they look like they're giving a talk on like the molecular breakdown of corn. Like this doesn't seem that interesting to them. They're going through numbers and charts and projections, but they're not conveying any level of passion. And when they get off the stage, my head is spinning and I don't feel inspired. And I thought that sucks. <laughs> like they're starting a business that's going to make a huge impact that will somehow disrupt an industry or create some innovative idea that will help improve people's lives. And yet I don't feel excited about it at all. And so I did this presentation last night for startups because I wanted to help them to remember that there has to be passion in order for investors to invest, for customers to want to get involved, and for the world at large to pay attention. And so when you give a speech, you have to first think about why that topic is important to you. Why do you feel like you want to share that? What What's motivating you to get up on stage and spend your time talking about it? And if you can't tap into that first, you need to get off the stage because you're wasting everybody's time. No one wants to be bored in the audience. No one wants to be forced to work on their grocery list because you're boring them and they're not excited about what you're saying. So if you're pitching your business, if you're giving a speech, if you're required to run a staff meeting, don't waste that moment by just going through the motions. Instead, look for the thing you're passionate about, access that energy and bring it to your audience They'll be more excited about it. They'll be motivated to take action and you'll enjoy it more. Okay, that was just my short rant. That was what I talked about last night in Hartford. And I also shared a little bit about why it's important to hold the mic correctly. You know, I noticed that especially newbies, when they're handed a mic, they look at it like it's an old hot dog or something. Or like, why did you just hand me this like rancid carrot? <laughs> Like they don't know what to do with it. And my advice to newbie, newbies is to just get used to it. Like know that this is a tool that will help you to better connect with your audience. It's not like a foreign baton from another country that will sear your hand. This is something that people use so they can 
talk to the people who are listening <laughs> and they can make it easier for people to hear them. So don't be afraid of it and don't hold the microphone around your belly button area because that's not where your mouth is. You want to hold it about two inches from your mouth, aiming at your face, if it's a handheld mic, and just make sure that you're not moving it around every two seconds. That's the other thing. You know, holding a mic, it should be just in front of your face. It shouldn't be, you know, whipped around like it's it's a bat. Like, you don't want to be swinging it. So just a couple tips to start off this episode. Infuse passion into your talks and hold the mic so that people can actually hear you because it's a tool that will help you, not a foreign object that will hurt you. <laughs> and if you feel like your your the mic is a scary thing for you go out and buy a like a toy mic at a party store and practice with it at home in a mirror and just get used to holding it because every time you're handed it you want to make sure you can hold it and use it with confidence okay i just had to get that off my chest so in today's episode i interview the amazing katie tynan katie and i met a few years ago through a mutual contact and i absolutely loved getting to know her and watching her build her brand as a speaker author and an expert on the subject of how work is evolving katie is not only one of those people who totally gets how to play the game but she also wants to take everyone with her and she does this by offering what i what i call reassuring wisdom and helps us see that while this stuff is hard, you know, at times it can feel like, oh my God, am I really going to do this? She reminds us it's not impossible. It's something that if, if we really want it, we can go after it. So Katie shares with us how she was voted one of the best motivational speakers in Boston. And this is a really funny and surprising story and actually will probably change the way that you think about how you win awards. She'll give her advice for brand new speakers she shares her wisdom and the mistakes she made around writing her books, her surprising speech prep practices, which I think you'll find interesting, especially if you're a new speaker and you look at speakers who are more advanced in their, in their practice and advanced in their business, because some of what she shares is, is it's what you think she's, she's already dealt with and maybe she's over it, but it's all part of what she goes through in order to become a great speaker. She also talks about how she handles overwhelm, especially when walking into new territories. She gives her de definition of claiming the stage and so much more. So that's all coming up right now on Claim the Stage. I want to welcome to the show today, Katie Tynan. Katie is the best-selling author of Practical Guides to Career Transitions and an internationally recognized expert on how work is evolving. In a world where 70% of employees are disengaged, Katie helps organizations ditch out-of-date management practices and creates an inspiring, engaging culture. Over her 20-year career in IT and operations consulting, Katie has advised hundreds of organizations on how to find innovative solutions leveraging technology and human capital for competitive advantage. Katie has been part of multiple successful startup exits, including Winforia Networks, which was acquired by Motorola in 2003, and Thrive Networks, which was acquired by
by Staples in 2007. Katie is currently Managing Director of Core Access Consulting, a leading talent strategy consulting firm based in Southborough, Massachusetts. Katie is the author of Survive Your Promotion, The 90-Day Success Plan for New Managers, and her most recent book, Free Agent, The Independent Professional's Roadmap to Self-Employment Success. Katie, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. It's great to be here. There's so much here. I don't, I don't even know where to start. So I'm just going to ask if you can tell us a bit about your work and who you like to help and how you transform people. Well, thanks. So it's it's funny, and I say this all the time. I'm a terrible employee, and I get <laughs> bored really easily. So I have a pretty eclectic career, but I actually have a really awesome career because I've gotten to do a lot of great things with a lot of great people. So what I've realized over 20 years, I probably should have figured it out sooner, but what I realized over my career is I really like people and I really like technology. And we're living through this amazing time where technology is completely transforming how we work and where we work and who we work with. And so I'm lucky enough to be able to work with businesses and also with individuals who are navigating that transition and help them figure out how to create working environments that really work for people and that are much more engaging than the traditional Monday to Friday, nine to five cubicle hell. So that's what I do. <laughs> well, I think what you said earlier about it taking 20 years to figure that out is actually not that long as, as a career consultant and someone who's met with hundreds of people in all different age groups. I've met with people in their sixties and their seventies who have no idea what they want to do and have just been working a job so they can pay the bills and sort of keep things going. But the fact that you took so many twists and turns, I would think means that you accelerated your growth because you were able to make more mistakes faster and then try things that might work, you know, before, before you turn 70, you know? Yeah. I'd like to think <laughs> that it certainly would make me feel better to think that I accelerated the process. In some way. <laughs> Sometimes I think of myself as a master mistake maker, which is a great place to be because then you're not afraid of failing and then you learn faster. So I would say maybe, maybe you're a master mistake maker too. I am on board with that. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm putting that on a business card. Cool. Yeah, and you can totally have that. Um, I want to talk about your speaking career because this podcast is all about women and helping them become professional speakers. And I know that's part of what you do. It's it's one slice. And you are voted one of the best motivational speakers in Boston. Can you tell us how that came about? Yeah, so it's funny, and you'll find this out if you spend any time trying to build out a speaking career, um, which is there are a lot of different ways that you find speaking gigs. And one of the ways that I find speaking gigs is through a platform called Thumbtack. And Thumbtack has a category for speakers, for motivational speakers. So I wasn't really thinking that it was going to give me a lot of business. But I figured I'd set myself up and under the heading of, you know, I tried lots of things first. First, I set myself up in Thumbtack as a consultant, but I really didn't see a lot of work there that I wanted to do. And then I saw that they had a speaking category, so I just added myself to it. And then every time something came in, I pitched for it. And every time I got a speaking gig, whether it was through Thumbtack or not through Thumbtack, I used their interface to capture the testimonial. So what it meant was that I got a whole bunch of five-star testimonials through Thumbstack, Thumbtack, sorry. Um, 
And what that means is I had more testimonials through Thumbtack than a lot of other people did, and I hit the top of their list. And the reason that's important for people who want to be speakers is I have seven testimonials on Thumbtack. Seven. Not 700, not 7,000, seven. And that kicked me to the top of their list. So I'd like to tell you that I'm an internationally renowned speaking superstar, and of course I am, but... Um, you don't have to have a million credentials in order to get recognized somewhere. It's a little bit like being a best-selling author on Amazon. If you are the best-selling book on a particular day, you hit the top of that category and then you can claim that for as long as you'd like. So that's how I ended up being one of the best motivational speakers in Boston. And I will certainly claim that title. But I also want to give some encouragement to some of the people who are just getting started who might feel intimidated by seeing other people who have all these accolades and all these awards, as long as you're focused on one particular platform or you're focused on getting testimonials, you can get the same sort of credentials that other people have, I think, much more easily in some cases than it looks. There are some harder things to get, and I certainly think there are some really fantastic speakers out there who've worked really, really, really hard and gotten hundreds of thousands of testimonials, and those people deserve the props they have. But <laughs> In some cases, it's not as hard as it looks to get recognized. Yeah, I'm glad you're saying that because I'm teaching a, a course called The Speaking School for Women right now, and we're talking about testimonials and credibility and how to get featured in media outlets and you know guest blog on other people's sites, and, and they seem terrified <laughs> by yeah. this whole process. And they think, like, well, why would someone want to endorse me, and why would someone let me write on their blog? I'm like, you'd be surprised how many people would be willing to say yes if you just asked the question. And so I'm glad that you're saying, like, it was just a matter of of getting seven testimonials. Hey, are you laughing at my seven testimonials? No, I think seven is a good number. Seven is heaven. <laughs> hey, I was totally happy about it, but I agree with you. I think, and I just read an article about this by somebody whose name I can't remember, um, but it was an article about when all of us feel, as we often do, that other people are better at this than we are, that other people are doing better work and we go out and we look at somebody else's site and go, wow, I can never catch up to them. So I just shouldn't bother trying. It's really easy to get intimidated and to get scared and to feel like I'm never going to make it when there's so much competition. Yeah. But I always bring myself back around to, and it was part of this article. If I can help one person, if one person listens to my message and walks away saying, wow, I don't have to be miserable at work. I could do something different. If one company says, wow, we could just add some flexibility policies to what we do, and that would make us a better place to work, that's all I need, then I'm totally happy. So you have to remember that it's not about impacting millions of people. It's really about trying to impact one or two and work your way from there and not feel like you have to be the only the best the single person who does this work that you do yes that is so it's so important to share that message and i just came up with the title for this episode it's going to be called the reassuring wisdom of katie tyne <laughs> <laughs> Because this is perfect. You're so right. Now, what advice do you have for brand new speakers? And maybe it was just what you just shared, but do you have another piece of reassuring wisdom? <laughs> I have many pieces of reassuring wisdom, <laughs> mostly because 
and I'm going to say this right out there. I'm always intimidated. I mean, your listeners are probably listening to this and saying, wow, that Katie Tynan, she's an expert. I'm going to tell you, I've spent my entire career feeling like I'm not an expert, like I don't know anything. I struggle with imposter syndrome all day, every day. And I still go out and do it. And I think that's the message that I would give to people. If you feel like you've got something to say, and especially if you feel like that's important for someone to hear, then you should go do it. And I don't just mean go stand on a soapbox in the middle of downtown, whatever your town is. I think speaking is something that can be learned. It's something you can get better at. It's like anything else. You've got to work at it. So know that you have a message and then go do the work, put in the work to craft your message. And then you're going to be able to find outlets and places and opportunities to speak. But you do have to do those first two things first. So don't get intimidated. Do find your message and know what that message is. And then do go out and find opportunities to deliver that message and work at it. Get better and better and better. Yeah, exactly. Do you know who Darren LaCroix is? I don't. He's a Toastmaster. I think he's one of the world champions of speaking. And whenever someone asks him for advice on speaking and how to become a better speaker, his answer is always the same. He always says, stage time, stage time, stage time. It's a skill. You just have to keep practicing it. And you're absolutely right. Like, just, just go out there and keep doing it and doing it, and eventually you'll become better. Now, you're also an author. If you had to do it all over again, would you write a book? And if so, would you do it differently? So the short answer to that is yes. Um, If you're a writer and if you're a creator, you know, is it Taylor Swift who says haters going to hate? I mean, everybody says it, but haters going to hate and writers going to write and speakers going to speak like you can't (laughs) you can't not. If this is your gig, if you're a person who writes or you're a person who creates, it's something that you sort of have to do and you don't feel right if you're not doing it. So for me, that's writing and whether it's blog posts or whether it's books or whether it's all kinds of other things that I can create in written form. If I don't do it on a regular basis, I feel like I'm not doing work that's important. So would I write another book? Sure. Was the book the platform for how I started speaking in an incredibly indirect way? Maybe. (laughs) But I wrote my first book in 2010 because I was working from home and I was bored out of my mind and I had a whole bunch of content and I thought I could put it together and write a book. And so I went and called a bunch of publishers and said, hey, I'm an awesome person and I wrote a book. Do you want to publish it? And they laughed and laughed and laughed because I was nobody. I didn't have a platform. I wasn't a CEO. I wasn't a professional person. I didn't have all kinds of people who were just going to magically buy my book. And that's what publishers care about. So I self-published my first book and I put it out there. And frankly, it did really, really well for a self-published book. And it was a stepping stone that allowed me to say, A, that was fun. I'd like to do it again. But B, that writing is something that's important to me. And furthermore, that content that I use to write the book then becomes something that I can leverage for all kinds of other things, whether it's webinars or podcasts or all kinds of different opportunities to use that content in different ways. So yes, I would write a book again, but I know that writing is not for everyone. Everyone doesn't love writing and not everyone who's a great writer is a great speaker and not everyone who's a great speaker needs to be a great writer. 
it's helpful, it's useful, but I certainly think that they're different skills and I happen to like doing both of them, but don't despair. Here's my my comforting wisdom again. Don't despair. If you are not a great writer and you want to be a great speaker, that's totally fine and vice versa. If you're not a great speaker and you want to be a great writer, you can do that too. So it's all about knowing your own strengths and knowing what you're good at and what you like to do. Awesome. And so what do you do when you're preparing for a speech, both in terms of like speech prep, you know, like how you're going to put your content together, how you decide what you're going to say, and also mindset and energy in order to get into the right, you know, mental place? Yeah. So for me, that's all about audience and audience in probably three different ways. So the first way is if I get asked to do a talk, I think about who I'm going to be speaking to and I adapt what I'm speaking about. It's always the same or a similar message. So I tend to talk about two topics all the time. I talk about the evolution of work, why it's different and why the habits that we have today or the habits that we had growing up may not be the right habits to make us successful today. So that's a topic that I speak about a lot. I also speak about diversity and the power of diversity and why we all should be hoping for diverse workforces um, in our in our working lives. So those are two topics I talk about a lot. But then when I get asked to speak, I look at who's going to be there, who's going to be sitting in my audience, and which elements of what I talk about do those particular people care about. So I craft and tweak my speech in order to make it relevant to those people, in order to make it the right length. So I've been asked to speak for 20 minutes. I've been asked to speak for 75 minutes. And I've been asked to speak for three and a half hours, God help me, and the audience. <laughs> so I'm obviously not going to say the same thing in those different contexts. And they were very different audiences. So that's part one. And then part two, once I've prepared what I'm going to say, if I'm talking for 20 minutes, it's fine for it to just be me up there talking. People have an attention span and 20 minutes is okay for listening to someone talk. If I'm talking for 45 minutes, I'm probably going to do about 20 to 30 minutes of me talking and then I'm going to do a Q&A because people get bored and I don't think they can listen for half an hour or 45 minutes or an hour straight before they start nodding off and dozing off no matter how good a speaker you are. Yep. And I think that's a big mistake that a lot of people make. They think they have to talk for all the time that they're allotted and you don't. And then the third piece is your audience is there to connect with you. And the more nervous you are and the more you're sort of focused internally on yourself, on am I saying the right things? Am I remembering what I was supposed to be talking about? Am I, I'm worried about me? Am I wearing the right clothes? the less you're connecting with those people. So once I've prepared, once I feel like I've put together all the things that I know I should be talking about, I go out and I really just try to connect with those people who are sitting there who've come to listen. And I look at them and I try and talk to them. And if I mess up, if I forget something I meant to say, if I get lost in my own babble, which sometimes I do, it's okay because I'm talking to them and we're having a dialogue and a communication and people are pretty forgiving. But if I'm so wrapped up in myself and worried about myself, then the people who came to see me are getting nothing. 
So that's how I prepare. I really think about the audience. I really think about my message, but then I really just, when I'm there on location, try and connect with those people who are right there in front of me. Was that something you were able to do when you started, or is that something you've been able to do as you get more comfortable with the content you're delivering? It's something I'm still learning to do well. And I think what I mean by that is I'm trying to get it all together. So um, when I first started speaking, what would happen is I'd prepare really well and then I'd get up on stage and everything I meant to say would go totally out of my head <laughs> and I would wing it for however long I had been given until somebody said, Katie, you're done now. <laughs> Please stop talking. <laughs> so... And usually, you know, I, I was still talking about things I had some familiarity with. So I still covered a lot of topics, but probably not the ones I meant to, probably not in the order I wanted to, probably not with the examples that I had so carefully thought up. So initially, I would still give a good energetic talk, but it wouldn't be the structured talk that communicates the ideas really well. So what I'm working on now, what really is my focus right now is blending those things together, being really engaged with the audience and still being able to remember and articulate the things I want to say. And furthermore, to do that with the right pace, to do that slowly, to do that in a way that's comprehensible. I think sometimes we get in a habit of sort of rushing through our talk because then we can say, aha, I'm done. <laughs> and I said everything I meant to say. And so somewhere in between being authentic, connecting with the audience, saying what you meant to say, and saying it with the right cadence and the right emphasis, that's all of the pieces that have to come together for a really, really good talk. And yeah. no, I'm not perfectly there yet. I'm working on it. Yeah, those are great tips. Now, you mentioned one of your signature talks or the areas you talk about is freelancing and the future of work. Where do you see the world of work in five years? And why is now a good time for people to start businesses? Well, it's a really interesting question. And I have some really long winded answers, but I'll give you a shorter version <laughs> for this podcast. We could probably do a whole talk on just that. But basically, the old school idea of work is all about loyalty. It's about getting some kind of knowledge and credential when you come out of school. And then it's about taking that knowledge and credential and building on it, ideally with one or two companies over the course of your career. And those of us who were born, I don't know, after 1950, <laughs> didn't get born into that world. We got born into a world where people change jobs fairly regularly, where companies lay people off fairly regularly, where jobs change. And so we've had to be much more flexible and adaptable about what we think about work. So did you know that people change jobs an average of 15 times in the course of their careers? 15? No. Wow. So if you know that, you know that you're going to go through a lot of transitions, but we still all, I think, get taught early on in our careers that we're supposed to we're supposed to look for stability, that we're supposed to stay in jobs, that we're that it's bad to hop around and to be creative and to try new things. So I spent a lot of my career feeling bad about the fact that I like to try new things. I like to be challenged. I like to jump into the deep end of the pool. And then what I realized in probably the last three to five years is, A, that's totally normal. 
B, technology allows us to do that and to be flexible in ways we never could before. And that's what companies need in order to be competitive. So that spawned this whole process that I'm in now, which is trying to get companies and people to talk to each other and work together and figure out what work is going to look like in five years. Because I know it doesn't look like what it was supposed to when I was growing up. It doesn't look like 30-year careers in gold watches. But I also know it doesn't look like the Jetsons. We're not going to have robots doing everything for us, despite what a lot of people are saying. So somewhere in between the Jetsons and the 30-year career, there has to be a flexible solution where people can do work that they really enjoy, but also that involves changes and transitions. We've got to learn new things. We've got to be able to adapt to new technologies and new situations. So to me, the future of work is about flexibility. It's about companies being flexible about how they work with people. It's about people being flexible about what a job means. It's also about being able to try things and do things that we've never done before. So whenever I talk about the future of work, I talk about the president of Becker College who said to me one day when I was interviewing him about this, he looked at me and he said, Katie, my job is to prepare students for jobs that don't exist using technology that hasn't been invented yet. <laughs> I said, wow, lucky you. <laughs> but that's exactly the case. We're all preparing ourselves for jobs that don't exist using technology that hasn't been invented. So to me, that's what the future looks like. And I think that's really exciting. But I also know that a lot of people think that's a little scary. So I try and help people figure out how to navigate that in a way that feels comfortable to them. Wow. I think that's exciting to know that pe that the average number of jobs people hold is 15 over the course of a career, because that, that shows that people are curious and they're willing to take risks and they're maybe lifelong learners versus just taking a job, learning the skills and then doing it for 50 years. That just seems like a much better plan for humanity. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I hope. I mean, I'm not totally convinced that we're going to get there 100%, but yes, that's the hope. Cool. No, if people are leaving their job to start a business and sort of freelance and maybe be a solopreneur offering services and selling themselves as the product, say a consultant, do you think that it makes sense for that person to become a speaker? And if so, why or why not? Well, I think speaking is a really great way to help people understand who you are and what you do. So anybody can build a website. Anybody can go out and get a Twitter account or get a Facebook account and put themselves out there on the internet. And a lot of people think that's all they have to do. Like they just throw up a website and get a Twitter handle and shazam, I'm going to be inundated with business. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that didn't really work for me. No, no. <laughs> so almost all business sales is from people you know, especially when you're just starting out. So you get a lot of friends buying your stuff initially, and then you get a lot of friends of friends buying your stuff. But the people who buy your stuff most often when you're a solopreneur, when you're working for yourself, are people who've met you. They're people that you've made a personal connection with. So speaking is a fantastic way to do that, not because you're going to get up on stage and say, you should buy stuff from me, but because you're going to get up on stage and you're going to showcase your expertise. You're going to talk about something that you know really, really well. And people are going to say, wow, you know, that Angela, she really understands this stuff. 
I need to talk to her. I need to work with her because I want to understand that stuff or I need that stuff for my business. So that's why speaking can be really helpful for your business. It's not the only path to do that, but it is a really great path to get people to see you, to connect with you, to understand what it is that you're talking about and what it is that you're selling ideally. And also to meet them face to face in person, shake their hand, take their business card and get to know them a little bit as a person too. Because one thing about being an independent business owner is you get to choose your clients just as much as they get to choose you. And you may very well find people that you don't want to work with too. And so speaking and meeting people is a good way to actually interact with your customers before you actually say, sure, I'd love to work with you. (laughs) That's a great point. What would you say speaking has done for your business? So for me, it's great brand building. And I use it for brand building for any organization that I'm working with um, and for myself as well. So when I'm out there speaking, what I'm trying to do is help bring visibility to what I'm talking about and what I'm doing. Sometimes I sell consulting because I've been speaking, but most of the time what I do is I help people get to know that I'm out here and I exist. Usually they don't call me the day after a talk. Usually they call me three months, six months later and say, gosh, Katie, I'm running into this problem and I thought of you. So that's part of why your talk has to be memorable. You don't want to be boring. It's because typically people don't necessarily have the specific problem that you might be able to solve right there when they're sitting in front of you. Some of them may. But for the most part, it happens a little further down the road. But it's typically a great way just from a brand building perspective to get exposure so that people have heard of you, they've heard of what you're talking about, and they connect you with a specific topic. Awesome. Um, Have you ever been asked to speak and maybe you responded by freaking out, feeling overwhelmed, feeling like you were unprepared for that size audience or that kind of audience? And if so, how did you deal with that? (laughs) That's an awesome question because the first thing I'm going to say is every single day, every time I say yes, and then I go, I hang up the phone or I hit send on the email and I go, oh my God, why did I say yes to that? So I have a habit of throwing myself in the deep end of the pool and I've been doing it for years. So I should be comfortable with it by now because I've been doing it for so long. So I spent at least five of my 15 years in IT having no idea what I was doing. And people would say to me, Katie, my server's broken. Can you fix it? And I'd say, absolutely. Let me take a look. And then I'd sit down and I'd look at their server and I'd say, holy crap, I have no idea how to fix this. (laughs) And then I'd start Googling and calling my friends and saying, have you ever seen this error? Huh? What did you do? So the short answer is I'm over my head a lot. in speaking, but also in my career. But I've discovered that I kind of like it that way. But in terms of speaking, I'll say two things in terms of advice to people about that, which is if you're not doing something that scares you a little, you're probably not challenging yourself enough. So you should certainly take risks and you should certainly take on some opportunities where you don't feel like you've done this perfectly before, because that's how you grow. But with that said, if an event coordinator asks you to come and speak at their event, you have a responsibility to either be able to deliver or to say no. 
because it's not fair to that event coordinator for you to say, sure, I'll do this and then not do it and disappoint their audience. The stakes are too high for them. So don't gamble with other people's reputations. If you're going to gamble, either do it where only <laughs> your reputation is at risk or and this is certainly something that I did recently where I said yes to something I'd never done before on a pretty big stage. If you are going to say yes to that, you need to prepare like you've never prepared before. You need to do absolutely everything to make sure that even though you're out of your league and over your head, you're still going to deliver because otherwise it's really unfair to the people who've come to see you speak. So the short answer is yes, take the risk, but then do the work and make sure that you deliver something great. That's great. Yeah. Stretching yourself and taking those opportunities that feel like they're out of your reach are the ones that then prepare you for even bigger ones. So I'm glad that you said that. I have my five quick questions with Katie lightning round coming at you. Are you ready for this? I'm totally ready. <laughs> All right. Question number one, what advice do you have for women who are afraid of public speaking? Well, the short advice is do it anyway. And I would give that advice to anyone who's afraid of anything. Do it anyway. Yeah. But with that said, the other advice I would say is nobody's holding a gun to your head. If you feel like you need to get your brand out there and you really, really, really hate public speaking, then do it some other way. <laughs> That's great. Number two, do you have a personal operating philosophy? And if so, what is it? I think jump in the deep end is probably as close as you're going to get. Um, I'm always going to try things and take risks, even if it's not necessarily the right thing to do, as other people would suggest to me. <laughs> I knew I liked you. <laughs> and number three, what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? Don't worry so much. I think I worried a lot in my 20s. I spent a lot of time worried that I wasn't doing things right and worried that I had to live up to other people's expectations and worried that I was supposed to be following the rules and I wasn't. And now looking back on it, like all of that was just such a wasted emotional energy. <laughs> you know, everybody answers that question that way. Like this is, you know, you're my fourth or fifth interview, but everyone has answered that question saying, I would just relax or stop right. worrying. <laughs> it's really great. <laughs> Number four, what advice do you have for your 75-year-old self? So when I'm 75, I hope like hell that I'm having a lot of fun and that I'm running around seeing the world and doing whatever I want to. So my advice for my 75-year-old self is I hope you're living it up. <laughs> nice. And number five, if you had to pick one object to represent yourself, what would you pick? So it's so funny that you asked this question because you sent it to me in advance. And when I first read it, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> but then I was thinking about it over the last couple of weeks. And you know what I've decided is I'm one of those wind up toys. Like you wind me up and I go, 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 go for a little while. And then I kind of wind down and I'm tired. And that's actually why speaking is great for me is because speaking winds me up and I work really hard. And I do something really great and then I can scale back and relax and recover a little bit and then I can wind up again and do another big thing or another new thing or jump in the deep end of the pool again. But I'm definitely a burst worker. I can't work steady state. 
<laughs> for any length of time. I have to have a deadline. I have to really push towards that deadline. And then afterwards, I have to be able to drop everything and sit around in my pajamas for a couple of days. Totally feel you on that. Totally. All right. I have one last question. What does it mean to you to claim the stage? So I think it's important to claim yourself and to claim who you are. If you're a business owner, if you're an entrepreneur, or if you're not, if you're a skydiver, whatever it is about you that defines you, you need to claim that and own that and decide that that's who you are. And to me, speaking is part of who I am. It's something I would do whether I got paid for it or not. And it's a little like writing. It's something that if I don't do it, I feel like I'm missing out. So to me, claiming the stage is about claiming that it is part of my authentic self to go out and to speak and to bring a message that I have that I think is useful to other people. So when I get up on stage, I don't feel like I'm worried about being there. I don't feel like I'm wasting the people's time who are sitting in front of me. I'm not worried that they're going to have a bad experience. I'm claiming that stage as my platform for delivering some information that they really need to have that's going to make their life better. And I think that's a mental state that you should try and put yourself in anytime you're speaking, which is that you are there on that stage for a reason, for a purpose. And that purpose is to deliver a really important message to those people who are sitting in front of you. And if you let your own personal worries get in between you and your audience, then you can't deliver that message. And that's a problem for you if you want to do speaking in the future. So being able to claim that authenticity of you deserve to be there, you need to be there, and those people need to hear what you have to say is a really important part of being successful. Bravo. Awesome. Now, before we go, you run a Facebook group. Do you want to tell us about that? I do. So I run an awesome Facebook group called Indie Working. And Indie Working is a group for people who are working for themselves in whatever capacity. So whether it's a side hustle, whether it's your full-time gig, whether you're running a restaurant, whether you're a graphic designer, whatever that independent work is that you're doing, Indie Working is a space for you to come and ask your silliest questions <laughs> to people who will not judge you and for people who've probably been there and done that who have some good advice to offer. So we are an open group. We're happy to welcome new members and we love to help people figure stuff out and certainly to encourage people to go out on their own and to give it a try and to see if that's something that, that they like to do. Awesome. And how can people get more information about you and follow what you're doing? So if you want more information about me, you can go to katietynan.com, which is my relaunched website, which I just had redone about mm, three months ago. And it has all the information about my speaking and writing and all my social media contacts. And I do really love to connect with people. So feel free to hit me up on social media. I do respond to tweets. I do respond to messages. So I'm happy to talk and to interact and to help people figure stuff out if anybody has questions. And like I said, I'm still figuring this out too. So I don't have all the answers, but I'm always happy to help someone along the way. You may not have all the answers, but you always have reassuring wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show today. This was awesome and just really helpful to hear from someone who's been doing it that sometimes it's not easy and sometimes it's it's scary or always scary. 
<laughs> and but that's not a reason not to do it. And so thanks for sharing that message today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been lots of fun. That's not the reassuring message, though. The reassuring message is you're going to be awesome. It's not scary. Don't worry. It's totally fine. There's no sharks in the pool. <laughs> you say with like a maniacal laugh. Perfect. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. There you have it. Episode five. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe by hitting the subscribe button. Also, please rate and review so my new show can be found by more people. Next time, I'll be talking to Leslie Karen Hammond. She's a speaker, author, and confident speaking expert. Leslie has been helping people transform self-doubt into confidence for 16 years. Her new book, Keep It Real, Why We're Afraid to Speak Up and What to Do About It, is all about finding your voice and sharing it with the world. Her personal story is one of courage, and I can't wait to share it with you. Her advice is definitely something you don't want to miss. I also publish a weekly public speaking tip to my email subscribers. If you want in on that, go to my website, AngelaLucier.us, and get on the list. If you'd like to share private feedback, suggest upcoming guests, or just say hi, please email me at Angela at AngelaLucier.us. Signing off for now.